ladies. All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. I would like everybody to look back in the corner. We don't have corners, but that's close enough. To my left, your right, back here, you see a sign that says starting point. Standing next to that is a handsome young man named Scott Helvey, who has the same haircut I do, which is a spiritual one, correct, Dick? The more hair you've lost, the closer you are to God. There's no question about it. So, I'll explain that later. Some people get good looks and intelligence. Some of you get hair. I kind of. Scott is our starting point teacher. Let me explain what starting point is. Starting point is our class where you come and find out who is a Christ church, what is a Christ church, where are the snakes, what do they believe, what do they teach, why is their preacher so ugly. Think of, we, we answer very deep, significant questions in this class. We've, seriously, it is a class that lasts eight, ten weeks, about eight, that will explain to you who we are doctrinally, our form of government, our history, uh, why we exist, what we believe, what our mission is, what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, I discovered it and, and kind of helped uh, use some Rick Warren stuff years ago and put it together and tailored it for uh, Central North Church at the time and now Christ Church, and it's been a great tool for us. Here's my suggestion. If you're not a member of Christ Church, if it's not your church home, if you're checking us out, the best way to do that is to go to Starting Point. Uh, it meets at 9.30 in room 6, lasts about 8 weeks. We're going to start the next class February 3rd, assuming we have bodies to do that. So here's my suggestion. If you have interest and you'd like to know more, Scott will be right there in that exact same spot. After this service, for the next few weeks, you can see Scott and sign up and tell you exactly what you need to do. In reality, all you have to do is show up, but we'd like to have an idea somebody's going to be there, so we will have the class. So you can see Scott afterwards, or you can contact me during the week if you need information. Scott's information is also in the bulletin insert, the other side of the sermon outline. You can contact him during the week as well. But we really think this class is very helpful. So if you're checking Christ Church out, or even if you've been coming for a while and you really want to, you said, all right, now, I want to be part of what's going on. And starting point is the place to begin. So Scott will be there this week. The next few weeks, we'll uh, see him. I'd appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. All right, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. What is today's date? What? January 6th, what year? Nobody. 2013, January 6th, beginning a brand new year. So I know for all of you, this is the sermon you've been waiting for for months. It's a brand new year. You've already broken those resolutions and you're excited about another year. I hope you really are. But here's why you've been looking forward to this day more than any other. Because I'm going to give you your acronym for 2013. I know you've been waiting. Mary was asking me yesterday, what's the sermon about? I said, well, I'm going to give them their acronym for 2013. She said, what is it? I said, you'll have to be there. And notice she's here. It's all in how you say things. Your acronym for 2013. What was our acronym for 2012? So you remember that. It's kind of like music. If you put something to music and it's music you like, you learn it easier. That's just a given fact. If you want to know anything about Herman's Hermits, just play one of their songs. I know every word. You're thinking, who in the world is Herman's Hermits? The greatest musical group other than... No, it is the great. They're the greatest musical group that's ever come. There's Elvis and there's Herman's Hermits. You're laughing. I'll sing Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter. Never mind, I won't. By the way, tomorrow night, if any of you guys would like to hang out with us, we're going to watch Alabama beat Notre Dame across the street. So those that are Notre Dame fans will be watching it over here, but a number of us will be across the street watching. Right, Andy? Go Irish. That's what I thought. All right. 
your acronym. So our acronym for 2012 was, we're going to be fat for God, and it meant what? See, you remember, faithful, available, teachable. I love acronyms. I, I've learned a lot of things that way. So we're going to have our acronym for 2013. Our acronym for 2012 is gone. So you don't have to worry about being faithful anymore. You don't have to worry about being available to God anymore. You don't have to worry about being teachable anymore. We got a new one. I was fat for God. I am fat for God. Proud of it. Fat for God. Obviously, God wants you to be faithful, available, teachable. Our acronym for 2013. You ready? Well, you're just so excited, aren't you? It's, we're going to be real for God. And really what we're going to do is we're going to keep it real because that's the way I roll. So we're going to be, we're going to be hip. We're going to be cutting edge. We're going to keep it real for God in 2013 because that's who we are. Why is this important? We're going to work out what real is shortly. But our acronym for 2013 is we're going to be real for God. Real is spelled R-E-A-L, not R-E-E-L. And so you have to do, you'll keep up, you'll get it. Why is this important? Well, for us as believers, and we're in 2 Timothy, if you haven't turned there already, we're going to be looking at this passage in 2 Timothy, and it's a well-known passage, and it's one that uh, God has really used in my life to teach me a lot of things. We'll walk through some of that over this week, and, and maybe next week, I don't know, we'll just kind of see where we are here in a few moments. But 2 Timothy is a really interesting book for a lot of reasons, but to me, one of the primary reasons, and I remember the first time I studied it and taught it, one of the things that fascinates me the most about the letter of 2 Timothy, it's just the last thing the Apostle Paul wrote before they chopped his head off. So historically, you put yourself in that moment, and you think, wow, this is pretty interesting. What would be the last thing I would say before they chopped my head off? It'd be like, whoa, whoa. I read a joke about this week. This guy was in prison, and he was on death row. And it was, it was his time coming up to go, and he, he had one last request. He said, I would love a, a fresh watermelon. The guy said, well, we're not going to get fresh watermelon for months. He goes, I don't mind waiting. We all are going to leave a legacy behind. Everybody leaves a legacy. As a Christian, your legacy is important to you. How will people remember me? What is it they will say about me when I'm gone? One of the things I know they'll say about Randy when Randy's gone is that dude was crazy. That's all right, because hopefully it was crazy in a good way. But what will they say about me? And that's what Paul was passing on to Timothy. Here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to take away from our time together. Everybody has an epitaph, and you're going to see his as we go through this passage. He writes it. For example, I read an epitaph this week about a guy named Lester Moore. Here's what it said on his tombstone. Here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. Says a lot. He's gone. There's no less than more. 44, no less, no more. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Our acronym for 2013 is what? Keeping it real. You have a legacy. You have a calling in your life if you're a Christian. In 1964, who was elected president of the United States? Even if you're young, you should know this one. Somebody said that with a question mark. LBJ was elected president in 1964. What do the initials stand for? Anybody know? Lyndon Baines Johnson. All right, I'm impressed. We have to go have a history class. Carl here, I don't want anybody to get in trouble. All right, 1964, Lyndon Baines Johnson was elected president of the United States. One of his closest friends was Billy Graham. And he went to Billy Graham and he said, you could have any job in my administration that you want. I will give you any job at the White House or any job in my administration that you want. He could have been Secretary of State. He could have been anything he wanted to be. Here's what Billy Graham said to the president of the United States, Lyndon Baines Johnson. After being offered any job, that he wanted in the administration. Quote, Sir, I believe that Jesus Christ has called me to preach the gospel, his gospel, 
To me, that is the highest calling any man can have on earth. And as we all obviously we know, he turned down that job. But not only Johnson, but many of the presidents in my lifetime have called on Billy Graham for advice, for prayer. Billy Graham has a legacy. You have a legacy. I have one. The Apostle Paul had one. When you get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is at the end of his life. This is the last thing he wrote before he died. Timothy was his protege. He's doing two things as he wraps up this letter. He's looking back at his own life and assessing where he's been. And he's looking forward to when he's gone and in passing the baton to his son in the faith, Timothy. I want you to notice something. Look at verse 5, and we're going to go through all of this, but I want to start with this. Look at verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Drop down to verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's looking back. And he's looking forward. And the thing that he's saying to Timothy that I want us to take away from this is understand you have a ministry. Now specifically, in the immediate context, is to Timothy, his son in the faith, who's going to be a leader in the church, a pastor to another pastor. But beyond that, you notice he said, to all who have loved his appearing. It's a message to all believers. For example, I'm in a leadership position of Christ church. But you are a believer priest. If you're born again, if you're a Christian, there's a call on your life, not just to be a Christian, not just to be someone who's involved in a church that preaches the word of God, but to be a believer who is a priest unto your world. A priest represents people to God and represents God to people. And every Christian is called to be a believer priest, not just those of us in leadership. For seven years after I was uh, out of college, I was in the corporate world. I was a traveling salesman. During that seven-year period of time, I was also heavily involved in the church that I was part of as a youth worker, teaching Bible studies and going to high schools and, and doing uh, group studies there and going on trips and leading trips. And, and I had found my niche. I traveled. I did my job. I had a wife. I had two small children. But did that say, okay, you do that, you just be a pretty decent person, that's good enough? No, God said, there's a call on your life. You're a priest. You're a believer, priest, unto your world. And so are you. Even if you're in high school, even if you're in middle school. Now, I got saved as a sophomore in high school. Well, for that next three years, two and a half years by the time I got saved, it's about two and a half years of high school left. God didn't say, just, just check out, then I'll get back with you at college. He expected me to be what? A believer priest in that moment in, at Overton High School in Memphis, Tennessee for that period of time. Then I went to the University of Memphis. By the way, I haven't checked. Who won that game Friday night? Does anyone know? I haven't had an opportunity to check. I just wondered. But during that period of time, I'm in college. I'm married. I had a child my senior year. What, what, am I allowed just to check out and just do what I want to do? Woo! Why is it that most young people between 18 and 30 who've been in church their whole lives, even those who say they're born again and that they're Christians, why is it by and large they check out of church and then check back in when they get 30 and they're married and they got kids and they need help? 
Because a lot of times their faith wasn't real in the first place. And they weren't really committed. And even guys my age, in their 50s and, and in their 60s, and, and it, it, chronologically it doesn't matter. It's where are you at this moment? You're going to leave a legacy. Is it important to you to look back and assess your life and say like Paul? Look at verse 7 one more time. This is Paul's epitaph. If he had a grave marker, this is what would be on it. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. You've heard it preached, read. You've seen it many times. That's his life. Was he perfect? No. Go read Romans chapter 7 where he said, I struggled. And other part, I'm chief among sinners. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. What I love about the Bible is that it's real. Paul wasn't perfect. He was what? Normal. He's like you. He's like me. He had struggles. But above all, and I just love to read his writing. Above all, like in Philippians, he says, I just have one thing I want to, I want to press on for the pride of the upward call of God in Christ. Not perfect. Haven't arrived. He said it himself. I haven't arrived. It's ongoing. God works in me as I cooperate with him. I want to have tunnel vision. One thing I do. And I joked about it, but seriously, when I'm gone, here's what I want people to remember about Randy Lockley. And I've told Mary that this is what I won't preach at my funeral. Chad, you'll remember, I trust Chad, it'll get done. Here's what I won't say, hopefully, which will be true of me. It's Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die. I don't want people crying, and I realize there'll be a few. But I want them to say, whoa, Randy got what he wanted. He got to go home. He's with Jesus. Be excited about that. That's a legacy. My life is Christ. And when I die, he says, welcome home, I hope, hopefully. Good and faithful servant. Come on, Randy, we're going to have a good time. Worshiping my Savior for all eternity. That's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7, 1, that the day you die is the best day of life. We don't think that way. Paul did. He actually writes in Philippians, I'd like to die, but God wants to keep me here for you, so I guess I'll hang around. That's my paraphrase, by the way. But that's what he said. He struggled between the two going on and staying. He said, I don't know which, and I'll do whatever God wants. But either way, I win. That's why he writes to the church at Corinth. Death is not a problem for you. The grave has no victory in your life. Death has no sting. Because the day you die, you go to paradise if you're a believer. So your legacy should be living that way. Well, people know it. Not just I'm a churchgoer. Not just I claim to be a Christian. I love Jesus. And that's why my acronym for 2013 is I want us to be real. I don't want us just to do it. I want Christ church. I want you as individuals. I want me to be real. So many people claim to be Christian, and it's their fake is a $7 bill, or they're false teachers. There's a lot of things going on in the name of Jesus Christ that he has nothing to do with. But I want in my life for him to be Lord, Master, Ruler. I want the same thing for you. Not perfect, keeping it real, honest. When you struggle, especially if you're parents, how many of your parents, you slip your hand up? The vast majority of your parents. I'm still a parent. Last time I checked, all three of my children were alive. One of them's getting married in May. Is life about to change? Boy, howdy, is it? We were out to eat Friday night, and his fiancée was with us, and Andy said something. It was kind of probably inappropriate at the moment in a public place. She says, Andy! I thought, woo, he's getting married. <laughs> I said, it ain't my problem anymore! I'm still a parent. Do I still hope my children respect and learn from me? Yeah. You're a parent. As long as you're alive, you're still a parent, aren't you? Even though your children are adults, still a parent. I'm still a husband. Mary and I will be married 40 years in August. She's put up with 40 years. Hopefully I'm a better husband now than I was in 7-3. I've learned a little bit. 
It's important people who interact with friends, people I deal with, that they see. He doesn't talk about this. And not because I'm a preacher, because I'm a human being who God in his grace saved. Same thing for you. When I was a greeting card salesman, I did my job, but I wanted people to know I was a Christian. I would go out of my way. I spent a lot of time in back rooms of places like Walmart, Target, and Skaggs drugstores, and nasty grocery stores like this place was before we renovated. I spent a lot of time in those kind of places. And when you work in the back room of those places, it's nasty. It's funky. And the person that had to work back there was probably not real high on the totem pole in the, in the organization. And I would always go out of my way because I had to deal with them regularly to go back and just ask, how are you doing? Not as Randy Lockley, representative of American Greetings Corporation, but Randy Lockley, Christian, because it was important to me. Did I always get it right? No, I thought I was going to lose my job one day because I, I lost my temper with the president, regional vice president of Target Corporation, a big dude. He was very important with that company, and they were coming to Memphis for the first time, and I had been assigned that account, and I'd been working my tail off in his new store for two weeks to the exclusion of every other account I had, and he said something, and I snapped, and he said, do you know who I am? And I said, I really don't get who you are. All I know is I've given you everything I can, and if it isn't good enough, now, I knew I was going to be in trouble when my boss found out. But also knew as a Christian, I should have spoken that way. And sure enough, I got a call from my boss that afternoon. I explained it to him. And he said, well, I would have said the same thing. But I, had, I wanted to go back to the guy's name. I'll never forget it. And this was 1981. I have trouble with what I had for breakfast morning. 1981, I remember going back and finding the guy's name was Joe Monteleon. And he was, Mr. Monteleon, I simply want to apologize to the way I spoke. And we got it worked out. And a great account for me for the next three years. God sent me this. The point is, every moment of my life, am I a Christian part of the time or all the time? 24-7. I'm not always the best husband. And when I mess up, I need to say, not just because it's my wife, even though that's a good thing to be a good husband, but because I'm a Christian husband. I want her to know that. I want my children to, I want my grandchildren to see how does Grandy treat Grammy? How does he do that? Not always right, but with that goal in mind. So Paul, Timothy is at Ephesus. It's interesting how this works. Timothy is at Ephesus. Paul is in a Roman prison waiting to have his head chopped off by Nero. And he writes to Timothy, who's in a pagan place, an immoral place, a perverted place, an idolatrous place, a wicked place. And Paul says to him, this is what I want you to see as we walk through this. We're not going to do it all today, obviously. The idea of finishing well. Here's what he's saying to Timothy. Timothy, I want you to remember the time we spent together. I want you to remember what you saw in me. And here's my encouragement to you, Timothy. If I can do it, you can do it. I'm going to be gone. They chop your head off, you're gone. I'm going to be gone. God has you here. Here it is. You take the word. It's the baton. You take the word. You preach it. You live it. You be real. You lead these people. Because I'm not going to be here. And none of us think we're going to die. But we are. And we're going to leave a legacy. You're not always going to be here. So you got to decide right now. What a great time. Another year. 2014, we're going to be sitting here saying, what did I do for Jesus in 2013? And I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your vocation is. I don't care what all your relationships are. Wherever God has you. In the middle of what you do. Are you real for Jesus Christ? Or are you just going through the motion? He's saying to him, verse 5, look at it again. Verse 5, the last phrase. Goes through everything he says to him. What's the last phrase in verse 5? Fulfill your ministry. And he would say to us, not just to Timothy, but to all of us, fulfill your ministry. We'll see what that is as we walk through this. All right, let's go back to verse 1. The R in real stands for be ready to share. Be ready to share. Let's look at the charge he gives to him in verse 1. I charge you, therefore, Timothy, Paul to Timothy, I charge you, Timothy, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Now, I realize this is one pastor 
charging another pastor to carry on. But it is more than that. Beyond that, the principle is for you as a believer, number one, be ready to share. This is a solemn charge that he's giving to him. The charge that he's giving to him in Greek, notice there in verse 1, I charge you, therefore, in light of what he's been talking about, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The phrase, I charge you, in Greek is very intensified, and it means it's the word testify. It'd be taking the word testify and intensifying it and saying, this is the solemn charge I give to you. Notice how he puts it. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses all three names for Jesus. His title, he is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is your Lord. He is your master. He is your savior. And he mentions two witnesses. I charge you before God and your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Both are watching. In other words, this is important to them, Timothy, and to us. It's very solemn. Notice how he puts it, the end of verse 1. Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He'll judge the living and the dead. Specifically, Jesus Christ is the final judge, the final arbiter of everyone's destiny, everyone's faith. You notice what he's saying. This is a solemn charge. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. Here's the first point I want you to see, this charge. It's a life and death thing. It's about life and death. The last time I checked, life and death is a one-to-one proposition. Unless you happen to be the generation that's alive when Jesus comes back and takes his people home. How many of us are going to die? We all are. How many of the people you interact with on a daily basis are going to die? They all are. The Bible says, pay attention, life is a vapor, James says. Here today and gone tomorrow. It's like a flower pops up and then it fades. It's like the grass. It comes and it withers. I will be 59 years old next week. You can get a list of what to get me a lobby on the way Mary and I were talking, and I was joking with somebody else this week. We got married. We were very young. I was 19. Mary was four. And I vividly remember us sitting in our little duplex across the street from East High School in 1973. I'm a freshman, sophomore at the University of Memphis. We made $8,000 that year, less than that, six, seven thousand dollars in 1973. I'm a student full-time. I work it full-time. She works full-time. We got one nice car, really nice car, a 73 Gremlin. Fine automobile. So proud of that puppy. It was new, though, and it had white sidewalls. No air conditioning, but if you see what I was driving before, you'd have known it was a way, it was a step up. And I remember us sitting in our little duplex saying, man, Mary, if we could just make $1,000, be set. And she said, if you just get out of college, we'd be set. I said, I'm busy. I got things to do. And that 30 seemed so old. 19, 30 just seemed old. 30 now to me, so young, so young. 60 seems young to me now. Yeah, it's the new 40. Praise God. I don't know how long, and this is, this is why this is such a passion for me, and I'll share that with you in a moment. we get ready to close. I don't know when God says, Randy, it's time to come home. But what I do know is if he gives me another year, if he gives me a month, if he gives me another 20 years, 30 years, I don't know. But what I know is I want it spent. When I die, I just want to be flat worn out for Jesus. Worn out. And it's an honor, privilege. It's a thrill for me every day to talk to people. I was sharing with my class this morning I was in the Salvation Army store this week. Andy Domino and I like to shop at Goodwill and Salvation Army. And I went in there looking, I was just looking at some books. And they had this great book by John MacArthur, who is an author. I've got every book John MacArthur ever wrote, I've got, just about. And so I'm looking at this book, and the guy said, it was standing there. He happened to work there. He goes, have you heard of that guy? 
And I said, oh, yeah, I've got almost every one of his books. He said, well, can you tell me about him? I was thinking about getting a book for myself. Well, for the next, we go over to the Salvation Army furniture, and we sit down and start talking. And this is like an hour, and finally the guy says, you know, I probably ought to go back to work. And I said, man, I'm so sorry, but you asked me. And, and so I get to sit there for an hour and just talk to him about not just John MacArthur, that's how it began, but how much I loved Christ. And finally he said, which is going to, he says, what do you do for a living? And I said, I just go around to stores like this and accost people. And he wanted my car and he wanted my phone number because he wanted to talk to me. I had, when I walked in there, I, went, I walked in there to look at a book. And by the way, I wasn't looking at Christian books. I just happened to pick up that John MacArthur book because it caught my eye. And it led me to a conversation with that guy. I don't know where that will lead. But what do I know? Man, I had a great hour. It was fun for me. I love to talk about Jesus. Why? It's life and death. It's life and death. We went up last week. Did we go spend the day with my aunt last week? My aunt's 92. Tough lady. Very rarely shows emotion. Doesn't say things like, I love you. She's not a hugger. We went up and took two of our grandchildren. And she wrote the, the sweetest card sent back to us. That's not my aunt. Do you know what she's beginning to realize? She's getting to death. And she doesn't have any children of her own. All she has is me. My two brothers and one other cousin who lives in Texas, she never sees my brothers. So it's me and the guy from Texas. That's all she has. It means so much to her. You don't, you don't know how you can impact somebody's life. You just don't know. If you're excited about Jesus, understand it's life and death. It's life and death. Notice what he charges him with. Verse 2. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Notice the context. Be ready in season and out of season. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. The example of the guy in the Salvation Army store this week. I was just happened to be, be he brought it up. I was ready. Randy, any better than you? No. Here's, the char, here's Paul's charge to Timothy. And by extension, the Holy Spirit's charge to every believer. What's the most important thing in your life? Shouldn't you be ready to talk about that? Shouldn't it be important to you? Be ready. In season, out of season. And here's what you need to be ready to do. Preach the word. Doesn't mean just what, what I'm doing here. The word preach, the phrase preach the word, preach means in Greek, be like the town crier. You've seen those old things, hear ye, hear ye. That's what it means, to announce something that's important, to talk about the truth. Like Paul Revere writing through the British are coming, that was probably pretty important in the moment. What he's saying is be ready to announce to people Jesus is real. He died for you. You can have eternal life through him. You can have peace. You can have hope. Your life can mean something beyond just going through the motions of existing and dying one day and leaving stuff to your kids. I don't want my kids to have anything. They don't need it. I just want to be spent for Jesus Christ. So it means to herald, to proclaim, to deliver truth. And notice, preach what? The word. Look at the context. I want you to remember there are no chapter and verse designations when this letter was written. It was just a letter. So look back at chapter 3, verse 16. As he's, as he's leading up to the charge, notice what he says. 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All scripture there is referring primarily, almost exclusively, to what we would call the Old Testament. All right. He's saying it's given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be complete or thorough, mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then he goes right into saying, here's my charge to you. Here's my charge to you, Timothy. You've got the word of God. Now preach it. Let it do its work. Convincing. 
Notice the idea, the word convince. This is so important, and we're going to kind of, we're going to do this and then stop for today. Notice verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort. I'm going to focus on those without getting into great detail, and then we're going to stop today and do the rest of it next week. So you'll have to come back at the whole acronym. All right. Here's the idea. This is so important. The idea of convincing means to focus on them intellectually. When you share your faith with someone, do you think they're going to have questions? Has anybody ever said to you, have you ever heard anybody say, I don't believe that Bible is true? It's full of fairy tales. People have honest questions. We shouldn't say ignore their questions. We need to be ready to answer them. How do you do that? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. You want to be thoroughly equipped, you need to learn the word of God. How do you learn the word of God? You need to be in Bible study. I know, I know you're tired of hearing Randy talk about being in Bible study, but I'm telling you, if you don't study the Bible, you're not going to grow as a Christian. If you're not going to grow as a Christian, you're not going to be effective. If you're not effective, then what's your legacy? It is, it is essential. I'm not saying it's essential. You come in here, Randy, that's crazy. Hopefully, I can be of some benefit to some people. But there are plenty of great Bible studies you can be involved in. I've mentioned it many times. I know you don't want to hear it. But those of you that uh, are too young to know, there is an AM radio dial in your car and other places, and AM 640 is full of great Bible teaching. And there are many others on the internet, and there's a lot of bad stuff. There's a lot of good stuff. If you got a question, call me. I'll tell you. I don't mind. That would be a thrill for me. The point is, you need to be ready to answer questions, and the, the, the word convince here means be intellectually astute enough to dialogue with people. You're not going to know every answer. That's not the point, is that you want to meet people where they are. And if they've got a question, you want to try to help. Maybe you say something like, I don't know, I'll call Randy. And I'll say, I don't know, call somebody else. But God's word is there for you to convince reason. It means a systematic answering, a logical presentation of truth. Remember the sermon series I did over the, this past year about proving the Bible's true, proving Jesus is God? We just scratched the surface. It's called apologetics. That's the idea of the word convince. It is the truth. What does truth do? So when Jesus said, I'm the only way, what did he mean? And if you don't believe that, better stop and examine yourself. It's not just pick a religion, pick a faith, and have faith. It's not good enough. Jesus said, I'm the only way. So he's either a lunatic, a heretic, or he's God. You've got to make a decision based on it's the truth. That's what convinces it. Maybe you need to convince yourself first, and then go share that. Secondly is the word rebuke. That focuses on the conscience. You see how you're sharing your faith? Let's say I'm sharing my faith with my friend, Dick Hunter. And he's got intellectual questions. He's a smart guy, so we're talking. But ultimately, what do I want to get him to focus on? In fact, he's a sinner. And I know Dick, and he's definitely a sinner. But when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, don't I want to bring them to the point, the realization, you need a Savior, right? Why do you need a Savior? Because you're a sinner. So, yeah, I want to deal with him intellectually, convinced, but also want to rebuke. I want him to understand you need to be saved. And if he's a Christian and he's not living for Jesus, I want him to understand that guilt you're feeling is the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that, abandon that. The idea of convince is to deal intellectually. The idea of rebuke is to deal with the conscience, the guilt, because Jesus can save you and takes that away. You're born again. And then the idea of exhort, character, exhort, encourage. The last thing you notice here in verse 2, and we're going to stop with this, is the character. I love this, verse 2. With all long-suffering and teaching. Very important. So important. My goal in sharing the gospel or in dealing with another believer and sharing the word of God is never to win an argument. You notice how he puts it. With all long-suffering. You know what long-suffering means in Greek? Put up with people even if you don't like them. If we were to go around the room and I would ask you, how many of you like me? There'd be some that didn't, wouldn't raise their hand. I know everybody doesn't like me, but there are a lot of people that put up with me. 
But the idea here in long-suffering is if I'm sharing my faith with someone or even if I'm dealing with a believer who's not where they need to be, my goal is, notice, with all long-suffering and what? What's the last word in the verse? Teaching. I want to bring them back to the Word of God. What does God's Word say about your situation? Dick, again, if I'm talking, what does God's Word say? Randy's not the final arbiter. Jesus is. God's Word is. So long-suffering is dealing with them, putting up with them, maybe over an extended period of time. I've got a brother that will be, I'm 50, now he'll be 62 in April. I've been witnessing to him for 43 years. Should I quit? Do I want to quit? Sometimes I do, because my brother's an alcoholic every day. And he doesn't see it. And sometimes I just want to beat my head against the wall and say, why throwing your life away? But God says to me, you love him. Gentleness, respect, 1 Peter 3, 50. Long suffering, put up with him. Teach him. Deal with the conscience. The Holy Spirit bring him conviction. You can't save anybody, Randy, but you got to share the gospel. I want to share one story with you, and then we're going to pray. There's a guy that I greatly admire, and you, some of you have heard me talk about this guy. His name's Wayne Barber. And for 10 years, not 10 years, for 28 courses over a long period of time, Wayne Barber taught me the Word of God video through Precept Ministries out of Chattanooga. I would teach the classes, then I'd watch his video, and I learned so much from this man. Even some of the style, the way I teach today, I learned from him. He's a pastor of a Baptist church in Chattanooga. Tremendous man of God. Ten years older than me. And about ten years ago, when he was the age I am now, I got to meet him. A cousin of mine was bringing him to town to speak at the Oldford Institute. She said, do you want to pick him up at the airport? Boy, I'd love to. So me and Scott Jones, Chris Ellison, we met him at the airport. Got 6'7", about 250, you can't miss him. Of course, we knew what he looked like from the videos. He didn't have no idea who we were. He comes walking out the, the, the gate. We're meeting him there, and he sees us. He goes, you three must be, you, got to, you look like Christians. Funny guy, tremendous personality, tremendous teacher of the Word of God. Just a good old boy. He loves to hunt, play college basketball in Virginia. Loves to hunt, fish. All his stories are about, just when you hear him speak, it's like, wow, I love this. He would love him. So here's the first thing he says to us after we introduce ourselves. Y'all got one of those restaurants that throws peanuts on the floor here? I said, yeah, man, we're, we're all right. So we take him to Logan's, and he can, do, he can put some food away. We eat. The next night, I'm, go to hear, I'm going to hear him speak that Friday night at the Oldfordness. We go out there and Wayne speaking, speaking on Galatians. Remember, he's the age I am now. And toward the end of his, his message was finishing well. That was message. And toward the end of it, he starts crying. This is a huge 6'7", about 250. Been, been in the ministry for years. Uh, saw world, people all over the world try to get him to come speak. And he says, all I want to do, and I'll never forget, that it motivates me every time I open the Word of God. He says, all I want to do with my life. He says, I'm 59, I don't know how much longer I have, but all I want to do, well, for Christ. Never forgot that moment. Because God spoke to, that's what I want for you, Randy. That's what I want for you. Now, I'm sharing with you as a pastor, your pastor, that's what I want for you. Don't just go through life. Finish well. Next week, we'll find out the mean to keep it real. We got the R now. We're going to be ready. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the simplicity of how much you love us, yet the depth of how much you love us. We thank you for the gospel. I pray we would be ready, in season, out of season, to share the word of God. For those of us that are believers, Father, we'd be excited about the time you give us on earth, whatever it is, however long it may be, that we're excited about the opportunity to be real for you. Lord, I thank you for these sweet folks that are here, for the believers. I pray you would encourage, you would challenge us to be real. And Lord, if there's a non-believer sitting here, at this moment they would say, Jesus, forgive me, save me. Thank you for dying in my place. We pray in Jesus.